Peace of Christ be with you. As we settle into this place, give yourself and your neighbor the gift of about three deep breaths, that you could be drawn into the presence of the Spirit, that your heart might open up to recognize that presence all around us. Friends, let us worship in beloved community. Standing or sitting, let us join in the call to worship. God is here to meet your challenges with comfort. For refuge under God's wings, we give thanks. God is here to meet your plateaus with challenge. God is here, expressed in beloved community. For those with whom to journey, we give thanks.
You may be seated. Welcome. Welcome to Westminster. Welcome to Sunday Worship. It's good to be with you. If you're new with us, a special welcome to you. We always, after worship, have a time for coffee and tea and snacks and especially conversation. So you're invited into our Finley Hall, which is out these doors and to the left uh, after worship is over. I also invite you, if you're sitting here in the middle during our offering time, if you take that P register, put your name in it, pass it down the aisle, pass it back. It's a great way to be able to greet people by name after worship. If you're new with us, it's also a great way for us to get some of your contact information so that we may be in touch with you later in the week. Let's join together now in our community prayer. Let us pray. God, you have called us all on a lifelong journey. You await us at the heart of every moment to meet us where we are. Forgive us if we have assumed we have made it and stop striving to grow in wisdom and grace. Help us to embrace the invitation to go ever deeper, to grow more compassionate, to become more courageous in our love. Our prayers continue in quiet. Amen. Friends, know that God's grace is new every day. Know that in Christ we are forgiven and set free. Thanks be to God. Amen. So as we continue in our time of prayer, this is the time when you are invited to share the prayers that are on your hearts and minds today. Um, I'll start certainly by continuing to offer prayers for the people of Turkey and Syria following the series of earthquakes there. Uh, many have asked how to best support people in that region. Um, and in our e-news this past week, our outreach committee provided a couple of links. Um, Rob and I always suggest uh, Presbyterian Disaster Assistance an organization that is, has proven time and time again to really be very helpful in natural disasters. So if you just you know, search online PDA or Presbyterian Disaster Assistance, uh, you can find more information there. So certainly prayers continue for, for the people of Turkey and Syria. What else? What other prayers are in your hearts and minds? Yeah, Joe. Uh, yes, I had a come to Jesus moment. Oh, did you? Yes? Uh-huh. I love a story that starts with a perfect Manhattan. Yes. Oh, you're going to go. Okay, so 
So that is a story you all need to hear, so I'm going to repeat it as best I can. <laughs> so Joe started by saying she had to come to Jesus moment last night while she was making herself a Manhattan. Um, she used a new ingredient, and here's where the story takes a turn. I was really enjoying the story until this moment. Then she had a Manhattan and her throat closed up and couldn't breathe and really, you said, thought you were going to die. Very frightening moment. Um, but all is well. And Joe said, that is why she's here today. <laughs> there you go. Aren't we all glad you're here today? Yes. Amen. But scary, scary moment. Um, all right. Yeah, Judy. Uh, prayers of gratitude for the program we have in Ukraine. Yeah, uh, yeah. I, I just thought that was awesome. And I look forward to future events that the church will offer. And I love the outreach to the community. Yeah. So uh, Judy's giving thanks uh, for the event we had last week um, on the Ukraine, or Ukraine. Uh, we had a woman here who is a Ukrainian native, um, uh, produced by our Westminster events team. Um, and Judy mentioned it was wonderful to see so many Westminster people here, but as well so many people here from the wider community, you know, learning and growing together. Others? Yeah, Patty. So Patty, our, our worship accompanist, is her hand is still healing from surgery, and she was giving thanks that our personnel committee sent her a bouquet of flowers this week, and she is continuing to heal. Amen to that. I saw someone else. Oh, yeah, Kyle. That's right. That, that's coming up very soon, right? couple weeks. Um, Kyle is going to have a new niece or nephew, or maybe you know, a new nephew in just a couple of weeks. What a joy. Joan. Offering gratitude for our Women of Westminster team who hosted a luncheon uh, last week. And especially, Joan was mentioning, so good to be able to come together and eat lunch together after not being able to for so long. You know? Yeah, Catherine. I love the turn that took at the end, too. So Catherine is first giving thanks for friendship. She and Amanda sitting together have known each other just through community events for 15 years. And then she added, now they're serving on a church committee together, and their friendship has been rekindled. So look what can happen on church committees. All right. Let's have just a few moments of quiet as we hold all of these prayers, um, and then I'll lead us in the Lord's Prayer. So let us be in prayer together. Gracious God, as we have gathered here this morning in worship, may we be filled anew with your grace, with your love, with your challenge, 
to do justice and follow you always. And hear us now as together we pray the prayer that your son taught us, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. So 
the children who are worshiping with us to join me here at the front for our time of discovery. And you'll get to touch something I bet you've never seen before today. So, so, this, well actually here, this is a Bible. (laughs) You've seen these, you've probably touched these. But this is part of a Braille Bible. Know what, do you happen to know what Braille is, Brandon? Nope. Do you, Liam? It's what you read if you can't see. Right, if you yeah. can't see. Blind. I know you two know. <laughs> so you may not know this. My father was blind. He has been up in the heavens since 1999, a long time ago now. Uh, but one of the things that he had in our house was a Braille Bible. And this is just two of the books. There are 66 books in the Bible. It's not a book. The, book the, the, the Bible is a library of books. And this is just two of the 66. So I'll open it up and you can look at it while I'm sharing. Yes, sir. Yeah. Here, let's let Liam and Brandon look at it because you can look at it anytime at home. Oh, yeah. I've seen so, those. Yeah. Those yeah, Theo. I have a shirt with Braille on the back. That's right. I'm going to tell you in just a second. You know what's funny? Can I tell you something funny about that? So I used to know how to read Braille, but I only knew how to read it with my eyes, which kind of defeats the purpose of Braille. (laughs) But it was like, it was kind of fun to have sort of like a secret code with my parents that no one else could read, you know? Uh, so this book here, um, that they were in what was then my mother's house for several years, and I always wanted them, and I asked her if I could ever have them, and she said no. Well, she went to be in heaven, I guess, about nine years ago. Yes, sir? Couldn't they just make braille Bibles, just words that are bulgy? Oh, you mean bigger words? Yeah. Instead of bumps? Yeah. yeah maybe they could have done that. Yeah. Maybe they could have done that. So, yeah. So, yeah, my father would read it with his fingers. And so, after she passed away, well, before that, we got rid of the house, and I really wanted these books. But it was, it's, you can come see more of them in my office. There are a lot of them. It's really, really big. I can't just put it in my suitcase and fly back here with it. I gotta mail it. 
And it's really complicated to mail these fragile books across the country from Virginia. I had my sister keep them for a while. Some of them got water damaged. I don't have all of them. I have most of them. And so it was just a lot of work and a lot of money and a lot of time spent getting these books here to be with me because they're special to me. Yes, sir, Thea. Do you, do you still know how to read Braille? I don't. I tried to find the verse for today, and I knew it was going to take me five hours, so <laughs> I gave up. Now, one of you, and so, if you're going to Sacred Stories today, <laughs> there's no table of contents. There's only two books. Uh, no, that's the, this is the title page. It's telling you. We can talk about this another time. Okay, okay. okay. Yeah. Maybe Why afterwards I'll show so you long? more. So. <laughs> Sorry, I'm cutting into the time here preaching and all that. Sorry. Okay, so this is really valuable to me. It means a lot to me. I did a lot to get it here because it's really important to me. Well, Jesus tells a story in Sacred Stories today that is about, <laughs> about something really special and what they were going to do, what, what the meaning of that really special item is. And so, all these people here are going to start wondering what that special item Jesus cared so much about is, and what the person did to get it. Now, one of you asked, or Sol asked, how did he learn Braille? Well, my parents went to a special school called the Virginia School for the Deaf and Blind, and it's right here. It's in Virginia. It's in a town called Stanton, Virginia. And this is it. It was a dormitory school. So the you kids... You Google Maps? I did. So it is, it is a dormitory school. So the kids live there. And I've been there. My parents would take us to a school reunion. And they told us stories about this school when they went to school in the 1950s and 60s. And boy, doesn't it look kind of... Doesn't it look kind of pretty? Like, doesn't it look kind of pretty? Like, it's got nice buildings, at least. Yeah. I never knew yeah. you could find, like, such specific... Could you yeah. like, yeah. Okay, okay, okay. Area 51? <laughs> Area 51? Maybe some other time. So, oh, okay. So, I gotta... Let me tell you a little bit about this school, and then we'll get going, okay? When we were at this school, they told us stories about how strict the teachers were. Some of the kids could see a little bit, and they were, had to learn Braille and they found out that the kids were cheating because like me, they were reading it with their eyes so they put black curtains down and put blindfolds on people. They were really strict at the school. They were strict about, kids had to say yes sir, no sir, yes ma'am, no ma'am, or they got in trouble, they had to sit up straight. There were all these rules that they had to follow way more than we did and my brother and sister and I thought, wow, I'm glad I did not go to that school. Now, there, were, there have always been a lot of religious rules, a lot of religious ideas. And Jesus had something very interesting to say about all those rules, because sometimes those rules get in the way of being good or doing good. And so, if you're going to be in third, fifth grade, you're going to find out what one of those rules was and how it might have gotten in the way of doing good. And now everyone here is going to wonder what that rule is. What about fourth grade? So, <laughs> Uh, fourth is between third and fifth. Yeah, so, third? But for now, let's go in peace. <laughs> go now in peace.
right. Uh, first reading today is uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 1 through 9. Listen for what the Spirit is saying to the church. And so, brothers and sisters, I could not speak to you as spiritual people, but rather as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for solid food. Even now, you are still not ready, for you are still of the flesh. For as long as there is jealousy and quarreling among you, are you not of the flesh? and behaving according to human inclinations. For, one, for when one says, I belong to Paul, and another, I belong to Apollos, are you not merely human? What then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom you came to believe as the Lord assigned to each. I planted. Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. The one who plants and the one who waters have a common purpose, and each will receive wages according to the labor of each. For we are God's servants working together. You are God's field, God's building. This is holy wisdom, holy word. The second reading comes from the fifth chapter of Matthew's Gospel, verses 21 to 37. Continue to listen for what the Spirit is saying to the church this morning. Jesus said, You have heard it said to those of ancient times, You shall not murder. And whoever murders shall be liable to judgment. But I say to you, if you are angry with a sister or a brother, you will be liable to judgment. And if you insult a brother or a sister, you will be liable to the council. And if you say you fool, you will be liable to the hell of fire. So when you are offering your gift at the altar, if you remember that your brother or sister has something against you, Leave your gift there before the altar and go. First, be reconciled to your brother or sister. Then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you're on the way to court with them. Or your accuser may hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard and you will be thrown into prison. Truly, I tell you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. You have heard it said, you shall not commit adultery, but I say to you, everyone that looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out, throw it away. It's better for you to lose one of your members than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off, throw it away. It's better for you to lose one of your members than for your whole body to go into hell. It was also said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you, anyone who divorces his wife except on the grounds of unchastity causes her to commit adultery, and whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. We're going to come back to this one in the fall, by the way. I'm just telling you now. (laughs) 
We're doing a whole 10-week series on the Sermon on the Mount, and uh, that one doesn't mean what you think it means, I would gather. Maybe what you were taught it means. I continue. Again, you've heard it said to those of ancient times, you shall not swear falsely, but carry out the vows you have made to the Lord. But I say to you, do not swear at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by earth, for it is God's footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not swear by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Only your children can do that. That's a joke. Sorry, it's a very heavy passage. <laughs> Let your word be yes, yes, or no, no. Anything more than this comes from the evil one. This too is holy wisdom, holy word. Thanks be to God. Something really important happened last week. During the 8.30 service, uh, Doug Pratt prayed for us to notice that gorgeous tree at the entrance to the church blooming right there at the entrance to this house of God. And I admit, I don't always notice that tree. So partway through the week, I went outside and went to see what it was up to, and it was still going, just exploding with these pink blossoms, bees crawling all over it, just gorgeous. The mystics say you have to fall in love with the world three times a day. And creation is a good place to start. That's where the creator reveals herself in the created order. Now, why would they say you have to fall in love with the world three times a day? But the answer is quite simple, and I would say deep. It's because what we're asked to do in this world, to grow, is hard. What we're asked to do in this world, make ample room and opportunity for others to grow, which we call justice, is hard. It's hard and sometimes painful. Jeff Shankle, who you just saw leading our young people, is fond of saying, whenever Jesus started to accumulate a crowd, when the people started to say, hey, that looks fun. I want to be a part of that. Jesus responded, how? By making it harder for them. Not easier. It's hard. The life of faith is hard. Jesus, uh, I don't even have to read it because we've heard it so many times. Jesus does this time and again. And the example... Well, you heard several examples from the reading I just offered. He takes the law, the tradition, those rules Jeff was talking about, that were hard enough, and he just one by one raises the ante. You've heard it said, you shall not commit murder. But I say to you, even if you're angry, you'll be liable to judgment in the council. You've heard it said, do not commit adultery. But I say to you, even if you just lust, you already have. <coughs> If your eye causes you to sin, tear it out. Your hand, cut it off. That is next level. That's making the faith harder. There's a quote on the cover of your bulletin. That's what I was going over here for. By a man named Bo Lozoff. I'll tell you about him later. 
He says this, the purpose of spiritual practices is not to get to the top with less effort. We will each be called upon to expend tremendous effort, to forgive the unforgivable, bear the unbearable, surmount the insurmountable. We will be called to develop loving kindness in response to ignorance, hatred, fear, and persecution. And he goes on to say, what I didn't put in your bulletin, if you're looking for an easy path, for a painless way through life, burn this book immediately and run in the opposite direction of any genuine spiritual teaching. Because all genuine spiritual teaching that has any depth to it will be honest with you about how hard it is. Can't we just go back to the flowers, you may be thinking? I recognize and understand that impulse and that desire, but, but maybe recognize just for a moment the charity, the inherent charity of someone just telling you the truth, telling you like it is. Because everywhere you turn, someone will sell you, this will make it easy. This will make it painless. But the truth is, it's hard. And sometimes it's painful. So can you go to the flowers? Yes. Yes, you have to go to the flowers. Three times a day, you have to go and fall in love with the world precisely because what we're asked to do in the world is hard. You have to go there. You have to go there to be filled up. You have to go there to learn the art of adoring the world, to rejoice in the miracle of this existence. You have to gather up the blossoms. There will be thorns attached. Don't worry. You don't need to go looking for them. They will find you. But they have to be attached to flowers because you're meant to carry more than wounds in this world. No one can endure that. Some longer than others, but no one for very long. Oh, you might soldier on for a little bit, but eventually they will get to you. Why then does Jesus use such harmful language? Hurting yourself. Particularly difficult words in an era in which many people have turned to inflicting wounds on themselves to feel something. Is this what Jesus wants from us? No, of course not. Of course not. Jesus is speaking in hyperbole. He's purposely speaking with shocking language to get our attention, to say to us, we've got to do the deeper work. It's not just about your external actions, or maybe a better way to define your external actions is to do some internal examination, to go through and do some exploration of the thought processes that lead you to an externally or internally violent life. And it's going to involve some pruning in the ways in which you've been taught to think and move through the world. And some of that pruning will be painful. But it's better to endure that than it is to just turn away and stumble into patterns of being that might as well be described as hell, which is exactly how Jesus describes it. You've got to do that hard and painful work. The good news is, you do not have to do it alone. Because we heal 
in community. We heal in community. Surprising community, finding it in surprising places. A small but big example. Last week, my son's soccer team was involved in a game that I'll just generously call uneven. <laughs> and the team he was playing was um, much older. They should have actually been at another age group. It was kind of a mix-up. And for a while, our guys held it, held their own. And it was even for longer than it should have been. And then they just started laying it on us, right? Just one, the floodgates opened, right? And after a while, the goalie on our team started to wear it, right? You could tell it was getting to him. And he was playing out of position. He's not even a goalie. He's actually our, one of our better offensive players. But you've got to mix it up, right? So he starts to kind of show that it's getting to him as things come undone. And they weren't even his fault. It was defensive breakdowns. But you're not here for my soccer analysis. <laughs> I mean, maybe you are. <laughs> so after yet one more goal, an offensive player on the other team comes over and gets in the face of our goalie and says, that kid who just scored on you is two or three grades older than you. You're doing great. You hang in there. You're going to be all right. We heal in community, right? We heal in community. You've heard it said, destroy your opponent. Or maybe if you had a better upbringing, you've heard it said, play hard, but when you win, be a good sport and don't gloat. But I say to you, you lift up your opponent. Why? Because you don't want them to be stamped out before they ever have a chance to flower in the first place. Why? Because you realize there are no opposing teams. In a real sense, that doesn't exist. That's next level. So if you don't have to do it alone, you also don't have to do it all at once. You don't have to become a, a spiritual master in the next five minutes. Just a little bit at a time. Paul uses this incredible language, this beautiful language. He says, I began by giving my students milk baby food from the Divine Mother. Now you could say, you could read that as it's condescending, which is sometimes how we read it. But what grace? It says, just, just start with milk. It's fine, it's easy, it's warm, fill you right up, give you exactly what you need right now to grow. And when you're ready, we'll introduce solid foods. And when we're ready, we'll start to crawl. And, and then when you're ready, we'll try to take a step and I'll hold your hand along the... It's, such a graceful approach, just little by little. You don't have to do it all today. And don't even worry about tomorrow, as Jesus would later say in this very sermon. Tomorrow will have enough evils to take care of itself. You just worry about today. Just be here. I read an article in the New York Times this past year. And it said the title was, The Secret to Aging. Do you know what the next word was? contentment. Oh, exactly. Now, wait a minute. You've been preaching about making progress, about going up to a next level, about getting farther down the road, about expanding, and now you want to talk about contentment, staying in place? Well, there's the paradox. Because what the author says, and I'll just paraphrase it, is striving is all about this kind of anxious energy to be somewhere you're not. 
But the first step is being incredibly honest about where you are. Just be honest about where you are. Be radically accepting of where you are. I'm here. Even try to celebrate, I'm here, even if I don't want to be here. And that allows us to then say, and now I want to grow into a new here. Patricia Pierce, great spiritual teacher who I quoted a number of weeks ago uh, about transformation, remember, says, it all begins with radical acceptance of where you are. That's how you best cultivate the ground for change to emerge, to bloom up out of the soil. Because remember, change wants to emerge. We don't have to make it all happen ourselves with our own effort. We just have to accept where we are, which opens the heart space for a new way to come into being. It's time to change the paradigm. Because in our culture, we're climbers. And we're always climbing or chasing, going up mountains constantly. And maybe that kind of imagery has served us well in some ways. I mean, we've achieved a lot as individuals, as a people. It's an ancient image. Going up the mountain, right? That's where you experience God. It's across cultures, frankly. But perhaps it has its limitations as well. Maybe it needs a bit of a corrective. Because the thing about climbing mountains is there's always another one. And you'll hear people who've climbed them literally or metaphorically in their life, and many times they talk about that at the summit, there's nothing there. And so what do they do? They look to the next mountain. More. More, more. I saw a clip this week of former professional football player Chad Johnson, who renamed himself famously after his uniform number. And he said something surprising. He said that in his career, he saved 83% of the money he earned. Now that's shocking because a vast majority of those players are broke in two years. And it surprised me because he was always a flashy personality. You know how he did it? He said by flying budget airlines like Frontier. God help him on that. <laughs> now, he, he did request exit rows, but... And by wearing fake jewelry. Because he said the more you earn, the more there is to spend. And it's always more and more and more, and it never stops. And he just decided, I'm going to extract myself from the whole system, the whole paradigm, and not participate in it. And you know what? He's content. And he ain't broke. Powerful shift there. You feel that shift. There's always more. Now, I know many people here have been very, um, have been helped to a great degree by the David Brooks book, The Second Mountain, where it sort of describes the first mountain in life is, is success and achievement and a little bit of ego-driven, but it gets some things accomplished. And then, then hopefully you progress to a second mountain, which is more about a meaningful life and, develop, and morality and community service and these other richer things. Now, that's a great gift to people, and I don't want to take anything away from it. The problem with the image, if not the book, we'll leave the book aside, the problem with the image, potentially, is that all it does is replace one mountain with another mountain. And it doesn't, the image doesn't ask you to change the energy. So you take the same charging, conquering, relentless energy toward one thing, and then you just shift it over to another thing, and then you become this, 
this zealous charity worker or something who's frenetic and, and exhausted and exhausting to be around. And I wonder if perhaps actually the energy needs to change to, res to try to restore a little balance, to build a more sustainable ecosystem, to plant some seeds that would spread things out and create a little diversity in the life that would make things richer. And that's what Lozoff, I'll tell you more about him later, uh, recommends. And he lifts up one of the mountains, I would say, that we make supreme. And I was going to say in our culture, but frankly, it's, it's gone beyond our culture. Oh, I'll just read it to you from the book. That's more fun. And he, so he talks about the way that we have revolved everything in our lives around career with an energy that may not be so helpful. He says, another related culprit of our imbalance is the role of career in our lives. Career seems to become the accepted hub around which everything else revolves. We don't even question it, right? We choose career over our own health. We choose career over our mates and children. We choose career over our time to study, pray, walk, hike, meditate, participate in community life. How many of us don't get involved in the community because we're working all the time. We fuss over our children's potential careers like it's the most important thing in the world. If our child wants to take a year or two off between high school and college, we freak out. We worry they'll get behind. And Lozoff asks, behind what? That's a great, well, behind what? Colleges are not going anywhere. Just getting more expensive. And Lozov is not asking us to shift that kind of energy to a better endeavor. He's calling us to shift the energy, to stop the, the sort of singular obsessions we tend to have in this kind of conquering mentality. Okay, now I'll tell you about him. So Lozov was the founder of what's called the Human Kindness Foundation and the founder of something called Kindness House in North Carolina. He works, worked with prisoners and parolees, helping them to cultivate through spiritual practice an attention to the inner life, to develop compassion and wisdom from within so that they might face rather harsh external circumstances, again, with loving kindness, with compassion. That was his life's work. He also was a major spiritual influence on one Fred Rogers. Mr. Rogers, the child television hero of my childhood at least, and I'm sure of some others as well. Rogers, who I'm convinced was a spiritual genius and a prophet. I, don't, I mean, to me, that's not hyperbole. When uh, Rogers uh, came, uh, got to know Lozoff's work, he used to buy his books in bulk and carry them and give them out to anyone who would take them. Became an evangelist of sorts to him. And the book I've been quoting from is this one. It's called Deep and Simple. And that's your mantra. And that's the secret. And it's in your bulletin, if you're writing it down. That the next level in faith is not about going up. 
It's about going down. It's about getting really deep, really clear, really simple, filling up with those blossoms so that when you're confronted with the things that the choir sang about, you're ready. You're ready because you've gotten deep and simple and filled up. If you live a life devoid of beauty, of simplicity, you will wither and have nothing to offer in terms of your own flowering. One last quote from Lozoff. This was first written in 1999, so the particular he, examples he gives are dated, but the, the truths are universal. He says, the basics of life are no different today than they were thousands of years ago. Get up in the morning, take reasonable care of our bodies, minds, and souls. Do some kind of work which benefits the world instead of harms it. Respect and cherish one another. And then get some sleep. It's important to keep our big view simple and to pass such a simple vision on to our kids. They desperately need a bigger view than, and this is where it gets dated, than television, malls. One day we will tell our children what malls were. <laughs> or not. And the salaries of their favorite athletes and movie stars. The only thing that Lozoff leaves out there, though I think it's embedded, so to speak, in the message, is to remember to adore the flowers blooming in your midst. Because in the adoring, you put yourself at the gates of God's house, at the entrance, always and every time. Amen.
may be seated. Two more important things to do before we close in song. The first is to invite Rob Adkins forward to speak on behalf of the capital campaign. Good morning. I think I know all of you, but I'm Rob Adkins. I serve on the church's uh, capital campaign committee. Uh, and they're asking um, some of us that serve on that committee to come and talk with the congregation over the next few weeks about the status and, and where we're heading with it. I assume they assigned me Super Bowl Sunday because they thought it would be a lighter audience. I <laughs> won't take that personally. Um, I know the feeling. <laughs> just, to, just to reset a few things, I know Rob has discussed this as well with everybody, but the genesis, what, what is the capital campaign and, and what is the genesis of it? Well, it's that beautiful building that we have um, and that we built. Uh, and we did so knowing that we would incur debt to do so. Um, that debt that we're trying to retire is approximately $1.1 million. And so we set forth on a, on a campaign. Um, they call it a quiet campaign at the outset, which is what we've been doing uh, over the last uh, many months. Um, with a challenge goal uh, to uh, raise $750,000. Um, that quiet phase is now completed. Uh, and you know, the good news to announce is that we have been successful in raising $770,000 already. Yeah, no, it's, it's, it's fantastic news, and, and now that we've finished the quiet phase, we're moving to the loud phase, uh, I guess, which is, uh, we are very close. We are close, we're within reach of our goal, which is um, the full $1.1 million. So that's the, the good news and the challenge, and you'll be receiving uh, letters from the church about this uh, in the coming weeks. Um, and one of the reasons I am up here, though, is to tell you not just the status, but also for me personally, why I'm on the committee and why I think this is important for us to do. Um, you've heard me speak before about what the church means to our family. Uh, my wife and I have three kids, uh, Maria, Wilson, and Sam, uh, and they've you know, grown up in this church. Uh, Maria was a ruling elder. A couple weeks ago, Wilson was voted in uh, as a ruling elder. Our youngest, Sam, is probably wondering if he's going to be expected to do that, and I may or may not be looking forward to that conversation. Um, but they're, uh, they each find the church and their spirituality in different ways, um, and that's probably true of a, true of a lot of uh, the youth, and like I would assume a lot of the youth, the way in which um, the church is meaningful to them, uh, I believe, is through service, not so much what happens inside our walls, but outside. Um, in, in a bunch of different ways. Um, I mentioned at the 8.30 service, you know, we've had uh, the Reclaim weekend um, where we have Jeff Healy at our home uh, with our kids. Uh, my daughter uh, has tutored uh, through a program called Bridge the Gap over in Marin City where they help reduce the uh, education gap through tutoring uh, of youth over there. Where did she hear about that organization? The Alternative Christmas Fair. Uh, that we host. Um, and Wilson was down in San Diego with the mission trip, and Sam was with Jeff's 
um, youth group uh, uh, down in the Tenderloin in San Francisco, handing out water bottles. These are all different ways in which uh, the church is meaningful to them. And it, I mean, I don't think it's stretching the analogy too far, but the, the, that's their flowering tree. I mean, at least in terms of how uh, they fall in love with the world through the church, it's often through service. Like, that's, that's meaningful to them. And so it may not seem sexy to say, well, what, you know, retiring debt, but what that does is it creates it gets rid of a certain amount that has to be paid to service that debt that can then be used for those types of things. And so that's, I think, meaningful to, to us, and so that's why we support this effort. The other thing I will admit, though, is we have three kids. They're lined up like airplanes on a runway getting ready to go to college. Like, in short order, Maria is going off to college in about three months, which is astounding to me. That's, that's how close it is, and each of them soon to follow. Um, and so I guess the right way to say it is we, we are less financially flexible right now and over the next few years than we may be at other times in our lives. Um, nevertheless, for us, you know, we had a discussion about how can we find a way to support this effort even given where we are right now, and we did. And so we've, we've pledged to do that because it's important to us. Last thing I want to say is thank you. Not just all of you that we've spoken with you know, in the quiet phase and we'll speak to over the coming weeks, but... Uh, in particular, thank you to Amanda Stevens. Amanda is the chair, the sole chair of our committee and has worked really hard and done an excellent job um, for, on behalf of the church uh, in this difficult task. And as Rob said in the la service last uh, week, uh, she was promised a co-chair. I didn't do it. Nobody did it. Um, she has been doing this by herself, but um, as Rob announced last week, we are all co-chairs of this committee now. So welcome aboard. Um, and please find some way to support this in, within your budget and in your lives. So thanks so much. Thank you, Rob. And next, uh, we want to hear a word from Carol Gunn. Carol, where'd you go? There you are. Do you want to come up here or you want me to come to you? Because I want people to be able to hear it on a microphone. Okay, come on up. Good. We reached an important milestone this week, and so I'm, I'm uh, pleased to have Carol share about that. Carol and Jerry both. I hear you, brother. <laughs> uh, some of you have seen, mostly have seen Jerry out there in his red car every Tuesday morning from 10 to 11. And what we are doing is picking up bags of lunch with love to go to Marin City. And last Tuesday, this bags of, uh, bags of lunch with love reached 10,000 lunches. In two years. So you figure that that is um, um, about 104 Tuesdays, 10,000 lunches. And those were all done with a group um, that has been so continual and going and in and out by with what else is going on in their lives. So this is not was not our goal. It is a benchmark that we are celebrating because it continues. So I thought I would tell you that some of this group comes every week unless they're out of town visiting or they're sick or something, but they're, they come every Tuesday, or they let us know they can't. There are some that come every other week. 
There are some who come once in a while, depending on what their other schedules are. And so many of them are so involved in other activities. Um, and a lot of them work. Um, so basically, some are retired people who are only retired from getting paid for their work. <laughs> some of them are working, and they drop off their lunches before 9 o'clock in the morning, and we pick them up at 10. Um, and some are people um, who have just heard about this program. Some are church members, some are friends of church members, and some just hear about it through the community and have come. So we have about 25 people or more who have come and gone or are still coming. Um, we have no rules about these lunches. Um, you can bring as many as you want. You can bring two or you can bring 20 or any number that works for you. Um, you don't have to come every week. You can come whenever you want. And all we ask is that there be a sandwich in it, um, maybe a little bag of chips, maybe some cookies. And anything else you would like to add, they're very happy to get, whether it's healthy food like um, granola bars or breakfast food or um, Pat Arce always brings vegetarian meals for people. There's all sorts of things going on. Um, and some of our, the children, particularly during the pandemic, even decorated the bags. And others, uh, adults, put little notes on the outside or inside the bag. So it's a very open thing as a way for you to share God's love with the community. Um, so I just wanted to tell you that one of the people who's been bringing lunches, who just saw us in the parking lot and asked us, and she comes every week and she said, this is such a wonderful way of sharing with our hands. And so that's one of them. And then I would like to close with the uh, lady in Marin City who I met. We don't meet many of the people who get the lunches. We just see the people who pick them up and deliver them. But this one lady whose name was Hazel, that was the first one always that Laron took lunches to because she knew she wanted a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. And she was there one day waiting for them to take her to the clinic. She was in a wheelchair and she said, do you know why your lunches take so much better than the ones I make? And we said, no, why? And she said, because your lunches are made with love. So it's keep going with that. So if you'd like to join us and try it out for a week or so, with a couple of lunches, we're always here from 10 to 11 on Tuesday mornings and would love to have you join us and meet some of the other people. We have become a real community of people talking to each other and getting to know about our families and our kids and everything. It's been a wonderful experience. So for now, we would like to, Jerry and I particularly would like to thank all the people. And I know we have a little crowd today, but if you've ever been involved in doing a lunch or even delivering the lunch that your high school kid made or anything else, would you please stand so we can thank you. Thank you all so much. It, is, it has been a wonderful experience for us as well to get to know you 
and to share in this community of giving to those who could use our help. And in closing, I'd just like to quote a, my, one of my favorite quotations by Desmond Tutu, who said, do your little bit of good where you are. It's these little bits of good put together that change the world. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks to, uh, thanks to Carol and to Jerry for being out there week after week, to Jeff Healy and Jeff Shankel who got this going in a previous iteration of the program, and to those who came even before them who've served throughout the generations here meals, taking literally Jesus' call to feed our neighbor. Our closing hymn is number 313. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God who is Father and Mother of us all, and the sweet communion of the Holy Spirit be with us this day and every day. Amen.